can talk while I drive. Well, I mean, I'll uh, we'll see what comes up. Hey, uh, I'm gonna Viper. We're gonna do with Kevin Burke. Hey, what's up, everybody? Recent guest on the show. We're gonna see if we can record a Viper. <laughs> I'm gonna turn it down. We're in the Torco Viper. The Torco Viper. It has a personality. It's got a name. It's not Kevin's Viper. Here <laughs> no, we go. Cross your fingers for audio.
time since I've been scared. <laughs> I have not been scared in a long time. <laughs> Hey everybody, we welcome just, to Slip Angle. Uh, I just got done watching a really important video on how to brown onions more effectively. So, <laughs> what? Uh, so yeah, like really, really important business as an unemployed person. Man, getting that, uh, getting that, that in between time, in between jobs, it's got Abe all sorts of. Uh, look, his hair's not even combed. He looks so, he looks so comfortable today. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, you've been, uh, you've been interviewing for jobs. Yeah, too, so. uh, the last like twelve hours has been a weird emotional roller coaster. In that, um, on Tuesday afternoon, I uh, agreed to do a site visit for a job in Louisville, which will have been the fifth interview of some variety for this one position. So uh, I pack a, you know, a go bag and I drive down to Louisville. No big deal. I get there and I have, uh, I, I get to uh, hang out with Aaron Lichty and his wife. And Aaron gives me uh, a tour of his bourbon storage basement, which is, it seems to be a basement that exists only for storing bourbon. Um, cause there's a lot and, um, uh, we go through a bourbon tasting and I try some things I've never had before and it was excellent. We then go to dinner. Uh, the next morning I wake up and I do like four hours worth of interview with this company in Louisville. I then drive home and I wake up this morning and I check my email and I get, and wait, wait, how, how did the, how did the interview go? How did the site visit go? I thought it went great. Um, it seemed like the hiring manager was, uh, enthusiastic about, uh, what skills I could bring to the organization and, uh, what they want from that organization. So this is, this is potentially an opportunity to like lead a team of like 12 scientists, which is a really big deal. Um, and so the, the only caveat to my, uh, like skills is that I have never been a person's manager before. Which is like, I mean, it's uh, in some ways you're taking a chance, but we talked about like my particular skill set and what they want to do. And so um, at the end of the day, if I don't get the position, it won't be because I'm not qualified. It may just be because they want a person who is a manager already. Um, interesting. I woke up this morning and checked my email and I get one of those uh, form letters from HR that just said, uh, you're no longer being uh, considered for this position. And I was like, well, that's weird. All of this has happened really fast. And I've now had five interviews and this HR response is remarkably impersonal. And, uh, on top of that, you know, it's only, it's been like 12 hours since I was there. That's a pretty fast rejection considering I thought things be that HR person's boss already. So. Um, so I was like, well, that's really fast given that I was just there. Um, and so I sent an email to the hiring manager. I was like, Hey, uh, I just got this email from HR. Uh, if this is correct, thanks for giving me the opportunity to interview. And uh, it was nice talking to you. And I, I hope you find the right candidate. If it's incorrect, please let me know. 
And I think about an hour went by and I get an, I get a phone call from the HR department. They were like, uh, that was a mistake. Sorry. <laughs> so wow. it's, I was like, guys, this is kind of like, uh, this is a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. What are you doing here? Yeah. This is some, am- some amateur hour, like grid life level stuff, right? But you know what? It's grid life stuff. So I'm kind of like used to it, you know? So, um, um so, uh, speaking of uh, being bad managers, both of us, uh, Kevin Burke's on the show. We haven't said hello yet. Hi. <laughs> Uh, hey, what's up, guys? I'm just really <laughs> curious how the browning onions fit into all this. I was hoping, like, the final test for your interview was, okay, now brown these onions perfectly. Well, you right. the job. Yeah. yeah, that's the final boss of the, uh, <laughs> the, the scientific position. Well, uh, in my third life, so my first life is a scientist. My second life is uh, a grid life official of some kind. And third life is I really like to cook a lot. And uh, oh. I recently paid for a subscription to America's Test Kitchen. They don't sponsor the show. They don't know about us, but uh, I think ATK is amazing. They do a lot of really interesting YouTube content, and they take a science-based approach to what it takes to make a food taste good. So if you were making bread, what are the essential ingredients? What do they do? And how much of them do you need? And so like this particular um, uh, feature was two minutes long, and it was just like, here's what you need to do to make onions fast because to like uh caramelize onions takes a really long time yep i just did that so i do know about that a little bit took like two hours or something ridiculous or 45 minutes of just sitting there well uh can i can i share with you another bit of of atk knowledge if you're inclined to cook you sure yeah Um, let's do it if you were making something that uh, (laughs) this is uh, this is the slip angle show where we sometimes talk about cooking cool man it's cool no no i want to know the secrets so if you were making a dish that had diced onion in it uh, let's say you were making like a ground beef for making tacos or or something similar and you wanted to have onion in it but Uh, You wanted the flavor of onion, but you don't necessarily want a whole lot of diced onion in your food. What you can do is you can brown your onions a little bit in the skillet before you start and add about an eighth of a teaspoon of baking soda. And the baking soda reacts with the cell walls of the onion such that um, it kind of turns into onion paste. It like it breaks down the cell structure of the onion. I'm writing this down. Well, it's not hard. He's actually he's actually writing this down. I can see. We're it. doing a video call. It's happening. Um, so it it turns into a little bit more of like an onion paste, which then like cooks into everything, where you no longer have solid bits of onion. You just have onion flavor. It's excellent. Interesting. All right. Boom. Done. And ATK is fifty bucks a year for anyone interested. Um, they're the best, and their recipes are always really good. I made some. Uh, actually, I, I text Adam. Uh, four or five days ago that I made some homemade tomato soup that was excellent. Awesome. Wow. I'm totally going to do that and then tag you guys on it, just so you know. Please do. I'm going to send you guys some pics of uh, that. My, my wife's big into science as well and uh, also cooking, so I'm going to impress her with that. To the well, uh, you get a... So if you're like me, you get a two-week uh, trial subscription, but it's one of those cases where you have to add your credit card, and the assumption mm. is that you will forget to cancel before the two weeks, and of I course. forgot to cancel, and now I have a subscription, but I don't mind. <laughs> it was like... They, they got you, but it's okay. It's yeah, okay. And, and now, like... Uh, I, I am the person primarily that cooks at our house. So uh, if Ashley wants something, I, I need to like pick. And now I just like open the recipe app and I like pick something and then I hit the button to um, 
you know, put the shopping list together and then I'd go buy the things and I come home. End of story. Awesome. That's cool. So right. now, now that we've talked about food for a little while, uh, which maybe is also a plug for uh, uh, Track Day Picnic, which is coming up in about a month. Uh, Track Day Picnic is typically a non-competition event for Time Attack, but uh, uh, Time Attackers enthusiastically transfer their energy from racing into making the best food for the picnic possible. So... Um, these topics That's are related, cool. really. It's just a thing that people like doing. That's really neat. That's a neat idea. Do you guys have uh, trophies for the best? For the best Curious. food? Uh, no, I yeah. think everyone just eats so much that they... Uh... <laughs> yeah, the, the, a couple of years ago when we did this event, the trophy was, uh, there was like, what do you think, Abe, 30 or 40 tables in a row? Um, it was crazy. And the trophy was, uh, your table is the only one that's empty. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I would say that the like the food prep got pretty serious at uh, at Track Day Picnic, where there was like a trailer and everything, like, like a barbecue trailer. Uh, Jason <laughs> Wynn nice. and Nate Kuhn like made homemade barbecue, and uh, Jason like uh, Jason does aged beef at home, and he gave us like a hundred and twenty day aged piece of ribeye that was extraordinary, like. People people go out of their way to make a serious dish for Track Day Picnic. That's really cool. That's super rad. I know that you don't travel to the Midwest very much, Kevin, but maybe you should. I don't. I should. No, I, I definitely should. Now that I'm talking to you guys, a couple people have reached out too. Um, Matt Williams actually said, Kevin, cruise down. You can drive my fit. So I've had some uh, standing offers to yeah, drive cars, uh, which is pretty rad. Kevin's, or excuse fit. me. Um, best fit too. Yeah. Matt Williams' fit is the best. It's the it's the coolest, most fun car. Well, my my fit's nearing completion, which uh, you know I don't know. I might give them a run for its money. Oh so yeah, they're fun. They're fun little cars, man. I was just talking to somebody about it. They're like such basic, simple cars, but like very rewarding to drive to. So. Well, so they're, they're Kevin, dynamic. you're yeah, like when, a. When was the last time we talked? Because this is all. There's so many new things. A couple months, now. I think. So, uh, in our last call, you talked a little bit about what you were going to do with the S2000, but nothing had been really done yet. Yeah. Um, and I should I should preface for listeners that I am currently at day job like thrashing in order to leave for NCM uh, late this, later this afternoon. Uh, so if I go in and out of mute and I'm on a headset, you're just gonna have to deal with it. But uh, yeah, I, uh, out at uh, at Button or Streets of Willow, not Streets of Willow, Big Willow, I rode with Kevin in the Torco Viper as well, uh, which I, I talked about in a few places. I think here and on. 10 tenths podcast, or at least definitely on 10 tenths, but, um, it was, uh, it was a ride to behold. That place is gnarly. <laughs> turn eight is freaking gnarly. Where were we entering turn eight at like 150 plus? Yeah. About 146 according to so, my data. So stupid. <laughs> yeah. And then we have basically flat out that car is perfectly suited for that track. Yeah. It's it was pretty a, remarkable. Uh, I drove, uh, a listener buddies, uh, eighth gen SI, um, Jaime Garcia's and, uh, I think his, his podcast is race FF pod. He just started doing a podcast. So check that out. If you want to talk, if you want to hear somebody talk about old Hondas. Um, and, uh, and then like an hour later I rode with you or two hours later I rode with you. And it was like, uh, it was such a, it was a, I never been on a Viper before they're ridiculous, but uh, I do appreciate the ride. And I, I was legitimately scared, uh, a couple <laughs> of times and I haven't been scared on a racetrack, like in a non wheel to wheel environment in a long time. So it was super crazy. 
So it's can you tell us a little bit about the Torco Viper? Yeah, so it's basically just a stock Viper fourth gen ACR. Uh, it's got an exhaust. Okay. And that, that's it. So, I mean, um, very fast, uh, but not out of control horsepower compared to what you can do with a Viper. And my, I guess my correct. baseline or my basis for comparison is a Viper with heads and cams and whatever from Prefix is, is a yeah. gnarly, gnarly car. And yeah. I think everyone who listens to the show knows that I had been in Luke McGrew's Viper a million times, and it was properly fast. Yeah, the um, the fifth gens or any gen really with the heads, cam, and all that good stuff, they're they're really capable on the high speed tracks. But yeah. I feel like the low speed tracks, I have a problem putting the power down on the fourth gen with you know five hundred and thirty foot pounds of torque at the wheels. So well, I, I think those um, cam. I think those Kumo ACRs might have something to do with that. Those are sticky. True, true. I have I've been on those on my uh, on my C seven. So I actually have experience on those tires. And yeah, they were one of the few tires that coming out of uh, Button Willow Button Hook, which is like a 40 mile an hour, 38 mile an hour hairpin, I can go flat out and not lose a rear end. That's the only tire I've ever been on in my C7 that could just stomp out of a 35 mile an hour turn yeah. and not spin out. So yeah, those 355s are, not only are they sticky, they're massive. Right. I got yeah, a on a Grand Sport, which is crazy to think about. It's, it's literally like a Hoosier level of durometer, too. We've put, um, in grid, same temperature, same day, both stickers. I've put a durometer into an ACR and an R7 Hoosier, and it's like, it's the same <laughs> the same like softness which is like in a, kind of an inscientific measurement but uh uh yeah they're really sticky tires super soft no, it gives you an idea for sure and yeah those tires are pretty remarkable uh the the massive size difference was a little bit rough on my c7 it kind of it had some massive push because it runs 295 rubber band tires in the front then 355 in the rear and i feel like the way the viper is designed it just turns in um, the double wishbone suspension, front and rear, just something about it. Few things turn in like that car. It reminds me a lot of an S2000. It's like an S2000 and the C7 had a baby and then gave it two more cylinders. Like a stronger baby. Like if they gave birth to a stronger baby. I guess I can also baby. say uh, there are people who are really uh, opinionated on the sound of a Viper and whether or not it sounds good or bad. What I can say is from my own experience standing outside of the car the way it sounds when you when you've only got one uh five cylinder exhaust note coming from one side of the right. car is very yeah. different from what it sounds like when you're inside which is extraordinary yeah it's got its own special sound and that's what makes it unique the viper is such a cool car the history of it's really neat and the fact that i get an opportunity to drive such an amazing car for an amazing company like torco is like Pretty rad. So I have um, um, one more bit that I want to share with, with you as someone it. who now drives Vipers. Uh, <laughs> the winning formula did a test day at Putnam Park a couple of weeks ago, and Luke McGrew was kind enough to introduce me to his friend, Ralph Gilles. And I, we, we talked for 15, 20 minutes, and hopefully um, I, we get Ralph on the Slip Angle show. He said he would, was interested and was into it, so maybe we can talk more about Vipers with the the viper guy that would be so rad he actually uh signed the torco acr oh is that so right on the yeah and i don't know if he signed all of them uh it's a voodoo edition which 
I'm pretty sure it's just identical to the 133 edition, just black instead of whatever color that one was. Um, that has a little plaque with, you know, 24 out of 32 and then his signature. That's, in like that's awesome. Sharpie, he was a cool. really fun person to talk with for the time that I had. And I'm excited uh, to have him on the show to talk a little bit more about, I don't know, like celebrity status with respect to being a car designer, which is unusual. Like, yeah. um, I don't know any other famous car designers. I just know him. Um, and he's like a, an actual car nut. He's at the track with the Viper ACR and he's ripping on it. And uh, he yeah. also brought uh, one of the Fiat 124 Abarth things. And he was talking about how much he loved that too. So like, it's a, interesting. It's a cool dude. Cool. Did you know he was at Good Life South a couple of years ago with Kevin Wesley and Luke and them? Uh, he, I think he maintains a low profile. Yeah, but he was there. Uh, it was. Uh, I met him real quick, and then I saw him post one Instagram photo about it. <laughs> yeah, that anyone that if you drive a Viper, anyone that helped design or had anything to do with that car is probably pretty freaking cool. Um, yeah, respect for that guy. So how, how did that how did that come together for you to get to to, to wheel that thing, even for like fun? Like our like our event was not a, it was a non competition day. It was just a fun kind of media day. So. Right. Um, well, it was very much a right place, right time kind of a situation. And it's the kind of thing that all of us as the grassroots, you know, like racers dream about. Um, I was at a Fast Toys Club Day, which is a, a higher end uh, exotics only, quote unquote. I mean, they'll let anybody in, but they kind of price themselves into exotics. It's like 600 bucks for a track day. Um, and it's open track all day. Uh, I'm a coach there. So I kind of do a pit walk every time before just to like introduce myself to people I don't know. And I see this beautiful Viper ACR fourth gen, which has always been like one of my favorite cars. And uh, I immediately walk up to the owner and I go, Hey, how's it going, man? I'm Kevin. I'm one of the coaches here. You know, how you doing? And he introduced himself. His name is Jerome and super nice guy. We kind of hit it off right away. Uh, long story short, he goes, Hey, you want to take for a quick ride in the car? And I had to contain my excitement, right? because <laughs> it's definitely one of those cars I've always wanted to drive, let alone it. This is an auto close speedway. So it's like the perfect track to experience that car. Uh, the car had R triple eight rear tires and Toyo RR fronts. So I had to be a little bit careful. Uh, the car was already more oversteery than it. It already would have been on like matching tires. So it had 40 treadwear tires in front, pretty okay. hundred treadwear tires in the rear. So we go for a quick ride along, you know, he kind of gets blown away. Kind of the same thing I did uh, with you, Adam, at the, uh, the track, you know, he gets a little bit scared. We come in and, you know, he digests a little bit. I go, all right, well, I'm going to keep doing my thing. Thank you so much. Later in the day, he says, Hey, you want to take it out by yourself? I said, yeah, I'm like, let's do it. So I put on my GoPro, took it out by myself, did like a 147 at auto club, which isn't the set the world on fire, but any sub 50 there is considered pretty quick. Uh, anyways, I upload the video and, you know, tag Torco in it and all that stuff. And turns out that the Jerome, the guy I met is, uh, pretty high up there in Torco. And he liked me enough to side note. What's Torco. So, so, Oh, do you guys not know what Torco is? So that might be a uh, California thing. Oh, I, I definitely know what Torco is. Yeah. So they're a local, local company, uh, here they're based in Ontario and they're a super premium oil brand. And they're just now starting to break into like OEM manufacturing, like um, type of oils. So, you know, the, whatever the ratings are for Audi, BMW, all of that. But before that they would just do super high end racing oil. 
Okay. So they would kind of ignore the, the factory, like, oh, it needs to be this, this, and this. They go, no, 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 we know what to right. do, and we're going to make it better with more zinc and more you know, polymer and, and all this other stuff that doesn't particularly meet those requirements, but it's better. In, uh, in old, old Honda um, front-wheel drive land with clutch-type LSDs, kind of one, one of the secret sauce uh, mixtures is Torco MTF and RTF, like a 50-50 mix. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's what I've ran for years. Yeah, they make all types of stuff from shock fluids to diff fluids, um, MTF, ATF, everything. And they're just a really neat group of guys that love cars and love racing. They've been around for like, 70 years i think so they've been around a while but they've always kind of stayed small you know they're not uh as gigantic as like valvoline or like motul or anything like that but i i do feel like they're just as good if not better because they're able to focus more on the small stuff they don't have to worry about mass producing you know all this uh all these fluids yeah, definitely. So, Uniqlo, I didn't know it was such a small company. I just kind of assumed that it was worldwide, but uh, I didn't. And I didn't know they were out of California. Yeah, I, I believe they have more than one location, but in the big scheme of oil, it's it's a pretty small company. Um, you know, you think oil company, you think oil baron, and you think like all this money, and it's not really the case with Torco. Uh, they're very successful, but they're also very small, and and you just feel like a family there. There's only like six guys at the Ontario location, really that. Um, run it so it's pretty they're busy all the time but they're really really cool people um so after that video he basically sends me an email saying hey kevin like let's work work together on something and i mentioned to him that i drive you know all kinds of cars and i drive for companies and do all that other stuff you know kind of planting the seed that hopefully uh, such a cool opportunity like driving this car would come out of that and lord and behold a couple weeks later he sends me an email says hey kevin do you want to you know, drive the, the Torco Viper at some events, vlog, do some marketing for us, and just work together on it. And uh, the moment, I know Jerome's probably going to listen to this, so this might make me seem like less of a professional. But the moment I read the, the email, I just screamed to my wife, honey, honey, it happened. Someone wants me to drive their car, like, at that upper level, you know? So that's awesome. It was, def- it was a pretty cool thing. And my wife immediately goes, Kevin, just wait 25 minutes don't immediately respond <laughs> don't. play it cool play it cool don't go cool. Yeah. Yes, 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 you, yes 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 you want to get a second date with this guy man <laughs> well what's so funny about that situation is like um you know if you have been working from home or something like i'm sitting at my computer a decent number of hours of every single day so when i get an email um you know, I, I probably see it within 10 seconds, typically. Right. And so, like, in this case, you have to pretend that you were busy doing something else. <laughs> exactly. Very busy man. Very important. Uh, but, yeah, so, and it was very much a just right person, right time, because I guess they had a meeting with their marketing guys, and they talked about maybe having someone drive the Viper, doing something with that Viper the week before, because they were thinking about selling it. Uh, up until this point, the Viper basically lived in their shop, was driven by sales guys every once in a while to lunch and to deliver some oil. And then they would invite people over to do donuts in their burn dock, their little burn dock in the, the back, the Turco bur- uh, burn lot. That's so, so that's, that's literally crazy, what, that's what the car did. That's car for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the, they kind of inherited the car. They bought Which it might also customer. explain the choice of tires on the rear. 
Yes, exactly. That that's why it had the R triple eights in the rear because Toyo was a partial sponsor on the car, so they basically just provided them with tires. And if you're doing donuts, like R triple eight's probably the best bet, you know. Um, so that's what the car did for years, and they just kind of inherited the car. It was a customer's, from what I know, it's kind of a mysterious like acquirement of that car. It was a customer's car, and then uh, he bought it with only the intention of getting the motor out of it. Basically, he bought the whole car saying, I just want that engine. And it was an Australian guy that bought it, is my understanding. And, um, you know, he had to wait for all the smog or whatever the laws were to, like, export the car and the motor to make sure it's all good. And he was going to put it into an S2000. So just, you know, Australian things. Buy as, an ACR as, for the engine. Yeah, as you, you know, that's no big deal. The it's question what, isn't whether or not it makes the car better. It's really just, uh, well, we can, so we probably should. So long story short, it just didn't pan out for whatever reason. It could be a law that got passed there. Hey, everybody. It looks like uh, Kevin dropped out here a little bit. I hope that uh, things... They were here. Who knows? They couldn't recall. Oh, there he is. We lost you for a second. You good? Yeah, you good? You, yeah, you were saying... I didn't lose uh, you guys. That was weird. You were saying it looks like uh, they they passed some kind of law or he couldn't export it or whatever. Yeah, there's some, some sort of law. Who knows if it was in Australia or here, but long story short, again, they just ended up with the car. They purchased it from the guy, I think, for probably what he paid for it, I'm assuming. And then they ended up with this Viper and not really knowing what to do with it, so they did the burn lot, did some content with it that way, and it's been sitting just doing donuts basically ever since. Um until I came along and Jerome saw something in me and believed in me, which is uh, awesome. Amazing to, to see that. And then gave me an opportunity. And we basically decided to race at NASA because it makes the most sense. It fits perfectly in TT2 with some ballast or TT1 with Hoosiers. And our first event was, when was it? Like a month ago? Just about a month ago. And uh, we were in TT2 with four other very competitive cars. And we won first place both days. So Cool. That was a that was a neat thing for them to make all this happen, and then I go out and actually perform because I'm telling them like, no, 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 I'll, I'll win, I think, and then be able to go out and and win and something like NASA. It's pretty pretty cool. So right on. rambling on and on and on, but Torco definitely it was just one of those right place, right time. He happened to have liked me. I impressed him somehow, and then he just had a you know, a meeting the week before or a couple of weeks before saying, Hey, we should do something with the Viper. So everything kind of clicked and, and happened. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool little story that never, you know, that's something that you don't hear about nowadays. Uh, so that's cool that it exists. And so, it, you know, of course it, it, it didn't piss off a lot of people, but it, it definitely perturbed a lot of people because I'm sure Torco sponsors drivers. And all of a sudden this new guy that, you know, if you look at my history, like you guys know me and the time attack community knows me, but, like the oil industry and like the professional level stuff, they have no idea who I am. They think I'm some punk. So it was, well, you you might actually be some punk, but maybe you can also drive. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll go with that. I am definitely some punk with very little wheel to wheel experience. Um, But you know, lots of time attack experience, but if that's where you're going to race a car, like that makes sense. Right. So it worked out. And uh, it also helps that Torco has a good relationship with one of my biggest supporters, rockstar garage. And um, before they offered me the keys, they basically called Rockstar and did like a, an integrity check or, you know, just like, hey, this dude, Kevin said he knows you guys. And, and Justin, 
put his neck out for me and, you know, said, no, Kevin's a really good driver and, and trustworthy. He drives all my cars and he's a good choice. So that was yeah. really cool. And they, they have an awesome stacker, too. So you had a couple cars there uh, at our yeah. event. That, that stacker seemed so tall, but it was only because it was behind, like, an F450. But. Yeah. And, and it's just, like, towed on a trailer hitch, too, not even on a yeah. fifth wheel, which is insane to think about. So, so Rockstar Garage built your S2000 with you. Um, what's the status of that? Because you just drove it. I did. Um, so it, sound, it sounded like things went great. <laughs> well if if you want to get into the nitty-gritty like there is a i did do a youtube video on it so if anyone's listening is into youtube vlogging of some some punk kid who thinks he can drive you can go check that out you could just uh, search for kevin burke and i'm out there but yeah uh rockstar knocked it out of the park they built the damn thing in like four weeks we were we were held up on an intercooler that took about a month and a half to get here. Cause I remember when we talked last, I think it was before uh, in January or December, I forget when we spoke, but I told you guys like, no, it'll be ready February. And you all thought I was insane. You're like, wait, you're going to put a sequential, a turbo, a different differential wide body on this car and have it ready in like 30 days. Yeah. That seemed impossible. I remember that. It's an ambitious uh, timeline. It, yeah. It would have, it would have happened if the, f- Flipping intercooler would have come in time, but anyways, that came as an uh, aside March. only because I I am interested. Who are the companies that make intercooler cores, or were you purchasing something that was off the shelf uh, that would fit an S two thousand kit? I believe it was something off the shelf. Okay, because the turbo kit on the car is a science of speed turbo kit. Got it. So I'm fairly certain it was, and I didn't order it. Justin did, so he was got Justin it. at Rockstar. So he was the one dealing with all that. But the second we got it, they boogied and got that thing done in like three and a half weeks. Nice. And uh, we dynoed it, you know, the Thursday before the global time attack event to shake it down. Sure. And it, uh, we turned it down for obvious reasons because we're just testing. The car had no real arrow. We borrowed a trunk from a friend and then it had no front splitter or anything like that. The flat bottom wasn't on it. The, the kit's unpainted. Like it's just, it looks like a mess. But we dynoed it. It dynoed at 461 wheel horsepower. On uh, what kind of dyno? Um, this is a dyno jet. Okay. A NASA dyno jet. Perfect. So the, uh, and then like 330 foot pounds of torque about. So the car is definitely like probably 500 to 550 capable, but we mm-hmm. were trying to get the power just super linear, easy to control and safe just for the test day because it's our first day with this new setup. We have all these changes. I'm still running my high comp motor. So we didn't want to like blow up the high comp motor on like the first track day out. So we decided on 460 wheel horsepower. So um, that power level is not too different. I don't think from uh, what Alex Moss drives in the, uh, the green S 2000 that he has. And I rode with him at Pike's peak. And one of my experiences in the car was uh, the power delivery. Uh, typically is is kind of violent in that it really feels yeah. it feels like an insane modified car uh and uh by comparison Jackie Ding's car at the time made about the same horsepower but maybe it was just because it was heavier and the wheelbase was longer and the way it delivered power um that like the S2000 felt like a 200 horsepower chassis with 500 horsepower and the Supra by comparison felt like a 500 horsepower car if if that accurately right. describes the difference in sensation, it 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 does to a little bit. We definitely turned boost down in the beginning of the rev range, so it was less violent. Because the last thing we wanted it to be in a test day is you know super violent, 
So we actually did a little bit of uh, messing with with the Honda at ECU and the way the boost came on. And we did like six pounds of boost up until like 5,800 RPMs and then ramped it up to 12 and a half pounds of boost. Got it. So it was very, and the dyno sheet is like very linear. It's a really a peach to drive. So it didn't feel that violent and it didn't feel really overwhelmed in my opinion, in my experience. Well, this is, this um, is not a slide on Alex at all that he is insanely good at driving that car, but it was just like in the seat. I was like, wow, this is, this is rowdy. <laughs> no, it's, it's still rowdy. Don't get me wrong. But my, the best part of this whole build really is the sequential. There's something about driving a car with a sequential transmission that didn't, wasn't not really supposed to have one makes it just amazing the, the noises yeah. the sounds so race car man so race car. yeah it's it's pretty amazing so that that's, that's definitely that's one a, of my favorite parts that's a quaif right yeah it's a quaif six speed and we don't have anything like i said this was all very version one when we took it out so it has no speedometer right now because the oem speed sensor for the s is in the trans obviously we don't have the oem trans anymore so no speedometer we have no boost by gear we have no gear indicator and we have no uh, no lift shift or anything like that. So you still have to clutch in on downshifts and you still have to lift on upshifts, um, which still like it's as raw as a sequential could get, which I enjoy, but it would definitely benefit from like blip on downshifts and, and f- fuel cut on upshifts and all that stuff. Uh, but that's hopefully to come as we learn a little bit more about it because this is very, a uh, as far as SoCal is concerned, it's a first real car with that trans and the turbocharged and all the other stuff that we put on it. The car's running 295 fronts and 315 rears. How dissimilar um, is the build from like um, Robert Thorne's Big Bad Wolf? Like, I know that that car was kind of famous for the rocket analog system, which it no longer has, but like in terms of setup and what you're looking at, it, it sounds as you're describing that those cars might be similar in a lot of ways. Can you talk about ways they might be different? So I think a lot of his stuff is one-off and custom. And I think the coolest thing about um, my build and, and Rockstar's build, I, you know, it's a partnership for sure. So we got to give them lots of credit on that is um, that all the stuff on my car is off the shelf. Got it. So you, you can get a Quaif sequential for the S off the shelf from Rockstar and boom, like put that in the car. It's all, you know, made for it. There's no one-off crazy things. The turbo kit, it's a science speed turbo kit that anyone can get. It has, doesn't even have a different turbo in it at this point. We might upgrade it later, but right now it's just an off-the-shelf science speed turbo kit. And uh, we, obviously there's lots of little changes here and there that they know just from experience of installing a lot of these. And you're still but, running the factory F, is that right? Correct, yeah. The hotness yep. around here is just putting K-motors and everything. Yeah, I feel like that's, I don't know, uh, Rockstar and I share the same feeling that I feel like the N, this might get a lot of flack, but I feel like the F is just such a better motor. It's just built for motorsport. It's not, and the only reason people swap is be is for cost, right? Yep. Like that's the yeah. biggest thing. Yeah, I think it's replaceability is, you know, if you if you pop the motor, the, the F is expensive, you know. Um, it, but so is a K if you have to build it. You know, well, the I, only I way a K of, is... Over here, a lot of people are basically just putting stock TSX motors in. So. Well, then, yeah. Well, that goes down to another thing is if you're not going to go through the K24 and you just slap it in, are you going to lose a track day because you bought a bad one and then lose all the labor of throwing it in? At least that's the way we look at it. Uh, we would go through any motor that we put in the car and breaking down the cost, it's about the same. If you just get a bare block F, they're not terribly expensive. And thank God yeah. Rockstar has quite a few of them. So it's not that big of a deal. Going through them, parts are the same on the inside. 
and just the motor just doesn't have a lot of the oil starve issues that the the k can have it doesn't have they just they're more robust and and honda built the f for that car so there's something to be said about that i'm not a big fan of k swapping the s2000s uh, I think it's a downgrade in a lot it's of ways. Kind of, it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody not say, I don't want to do a case swap." <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we were running a high comp motor in my car that made 239 wheel horsepower on that same dyno. And it's like a 12.5 to 1 compression, I believe. It's 12 or 12.5 to 1. Uh, it's been so long and we've done so many of them. So it's kind of, kind of hard to remember. Um, but, you know, we shove boost through it and the car ran beautifully up until the incident that we'll talk about here i'm sure when it didn't run but the uh the motor the trans the differential everything there was zero problems and i know we only did a few laps but we did a lot of dyno pulls you know we went up and down the street a bunch of times to test it test the power band and it's remarkably stout and rockstar has built a high comp f series with a turbo on it before and they've been also very stout we even have um, my friend Chris, who had an F24 with a, and that was a 14 to one compression, and he turbocharged that, and it held up uh, remarkably well. Yeah, if you can keep detonation away, I mean, those things are, they're already, you know, in the grand scheme of internal combustion, they're already pretty high comp from the factory, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 And ethanol helps a lot with that. So I think Chris is running like E90, some like race ethanol, and then we always run E85, and E85 opens up so many doors in that regard. So yeah. it's just not uh, like a non-issue. So you pretty, didn't pretty get cool. you didn't get the 747 parts on the car yet? No, they're sitting next to the car. That's for the flat bottom. Uh, we will get that hopefully by the next time out. But right now we have some repairs to do. Uh, and yeah, what happened? So the first, the very first session out, uh, I got massive rub. So you know, even on the outlap, I would hit the gas and it would just fill the inside of the cabin up with smoke. We had 315s in the rear. We have a wide body, but you know that we're going to run into those kinds of problems. So I immediately bring it in. We pound out the fenders uh, at the track. And uh, did you take an angle grinder to it? Because that's what Ronnie yes. Solomon did for me <laughs> when we were at Barber in January, because yes. uh, what was, I think they're two forty fives on my eighth gen, the, the new six sixties, the two forty five is very fat, like really, yeah. really fat. And I was told that two fifty fives would probably fit. And so I bought two forty fives and the rear just, Nope, that doesn't work. Yeah. So uh, we borrowed a circular saw from uh, Corey Wells with that awesome prelude. That I'm sure you guys have all seen. All the weekend was to set down a flyer and get some data to see what the car needs and how we can make it better because the car is very much not done at this point. So I go out after we do all that work, uh, turn left out of pits, turn around, turn one, which is button hook. And then I give it the, give it the gusto out of that turn, break at about 111 miles an hour. And the pedal goes right to the floor. Uh, all these noises come out of the wheel, the bottom of the car. I thought I just either like blew a rod, like through, like catastrophic failure is what went through my mind. Um, and I didn't really know what happened, but I know the brake pedal was just gone and I went straight off. Thank God there was nothing in the way, no one in front of me. So it was a very safe way to go. Uh, parked it, you know, started the car, listened, you know, I didn't want to shut down the session. So I didn't want to get a tow. Uh, I was stopped in a very 
safe place. So I told the corner worker, no, just, just wait, let me figure it out. Like, don't shut down the session. I don't need a tow. Like we're fine. And then, uh, I, I think I saw from the video, you tried to creep forward to see if there was any place that you could possibly go. And the car was like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> well, the, I think what happened in hindsight and after walking the track where I went off, the dirt there is like six inches deep and it's super soft. So I was just stuck. So I had to really give it gas to get out. I was almost stuck just from the dirt. So I tried creep forward. Then I went, oh man, like, I don't know. And then I tried it again. And then I, then Justin drove by in his S2000 and basically gave me a thumbs up. And to me, I read that as all four of your wheels are on Kevin. Just try it. <laughs> I don't know is what he meant, <laughs> but he was basically like, just go. It's fine. Cause I wasn't sure, honestly, if one of my wheels had fallen off, that's what it sounded like. I was expecting, I looked at my rear mirror as soon as it happened, expecting a wheel to just go through and smack my car. Um, cause the noise was just so violent and I lost all brakes, which is like the worst thing in the world. And of course I don't have any brake on the car anymore. So I have no, no way to slow the car down. So anyways, it's, it's just the worst feeling, dude. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I, I give it gusto, get it out of the sand trap. Basically that is that cotton corners area and limp it in. I stop the car. I immediately think like, okay, we, we, we took the wheels off the rear. Maybe something happened. Maybe I rubbed the wrong way and maybe something got deformed and maybe my pads, you know, flew out. We did, we did do a pad swap on the rear of the car. So maybe that was it. So I get out of the car. I do a full 360, go to the rear first. Cause that's what we messed with and everything looks fine. I'm like, okay, this is weird. Go to the front driver's side. Everything looks good. Front passenger side, uh, tires flat. There's a hole in my fender and the rotor's just gone. So I immediately start laughing because I realized how bad this could have been. And that of course was like, I got no, you know, I try and stay positive with a lot of this stuff because if you end up not having fun, even when stuff's bad, like, why are you doing this? You know, no, no one got hurt. Everything was good. So I, you know, I started laughing. I look in my wheel and there's a chunk of the rotor stuck embedded in my headlight going through the headlight, through the fender. So brand new fender, by the way, too. Jay's all authentic right. stuff. Money. Um, yeah. So, and then the tire was flat. The wheel turns out the barrel had a hole in it from the, the rotor. And it, the rotor basically blew into four pieces. Uh, one piece or two pieces lodged into the headlight, lodged into the fender. The other two pieces were, I think, were just barreling around inside of the wheel and then shot out behind the car and this is a scary thing and i found this out later because i didn't even look at the inside of the car is there's actually four almost like tennis ball size holes in the bottom of my car where the rotor just went just i don't know how to explain it like without showing you on a video but just ricocheted under and just cooked hooked yeah, yeah. all the way down drove, the side you drove over a c-shaped rotor <laughs> Exactly. And so there were four holes in the bottom of my car, which is heartbreaking. And then it also bent my Wisefab control arm front and rear Jesus. while it was at it. And that if that sucks. wasn't enough, Ow. and if that wasn't enough, it poked a, another tennis ball size hole in the back of my brand new Jay's bumper. So it just, no, I don't want to say worst case, but it, it's not cheap. 
Uh, oops. It was not no, a that's a, thing. That's way more damage than I would have. Like, if somebody says, hey, here's a problem, how much damage do you think a, a, a cracked and exploded rotor can do? Well, think like, about oh, it for a second. Even if you have a lightweight rotor of some kind, let's just take the iron bit. If you have a thing right. that weighs, I don't know, 15 pounds, and you cut it into four pieces, and then you spin it really fast... Uh, yeah. If it explodes, it's going to do some damage. Right. Uh, and it and damage it did do. So, you know, it, it didn't pierce the cabin. It didn't hurt me, which is good. It didn't happen on the driver's side. The driver's side would have been a lot worse because my fuel surge tank is underneath the car right there. And Scary. that's what I immediately thought of when I saw that is if it would have hit the surge tank, it could have been really bad. It's, it's just a freak accident, you know, and it's nobody's, you know, fault. Uh the company that makes the rotor reached out to me and they're doing a lot, a lot of work to figure out why it happened, which is good because the last thing we want is for this to happen again. And the rotor was actually brand new. That's the weird thing. It's not like, you know, this rotor was old and cracked and, you know, fatigued. Well, so what's interesting about this, this failure, I mean, I'm a, I'm a materials uh, expert and I would probably, I would do some of this type of analysis in my previous job. And what's interesting about this problem is that if it's a metallurgy problem, um, it's probably no fault even of the company because they don't run a foundry, right? Like this. Exactly. It's a foundry's fault. And that's, that's a weird problem. And we don't, no one really knows where the foundry is or if this was a freak or if it was a spec issue or, or what it was. So, um, like the company who makes the brake kit is, is completely irrelevant because it was just, it was probably, I mean, for lack of a better word, like bar stock type material that they bought from something, um, that just happened to fail. And the crazy thing is I just sent you guys a picture of the rotor. If you want to look at it, especially knowing that you're an expert in this, um, in the messenger chat. Oh boy. And yeah. Um, and the, the crazy thing that people don't think about is how many manufacturers, how many foundries actually make rotors for cars? Not many. Probably not many. In the same so way. So uh, pointing fingers at this manufacturer of the kit. And it's like, well, no, there's probably hundreds of other kits that run this same rotor from the same foundry. So uh, as an aside, um, I have a road bike. I know that I did. I, it looks like I don't ride it very much and that's right. But um, <laughs> the, there are hundreds of producers of carbon framed bicycles. What's interesting though, is the number of companies that produce carbon frames for these bike producers is not that many. It's like three or four because to run a facility that makes carbon fiber materials is really expensive. And so like, uh, none of these small company, like mom and pop type brake kit companies, they don't, they, they don't forge metal. Uh, because that's a big operation with millions and millions Correct. and millions of dollars in equipment. And so like, yep. yeah, this is a freak accident. It could be something as trivial as like, well, you know, there was more silica in the rotor than there needed to be. And it just reached a critical failure point. Yeah. That's so, no, it's, it's so crazy. It was new. And literally for people that haven't seen pictures, it's split like in four exact pieces too. So yeah, that, that's the crazy thing that hits me. Like it could be a foundry thing is that it, it broke in perfect, in perfect quarters. 
Well, also interesting, and, and maybe maybe not if you're like an, an actual material scientist or more so than me, is, you know, you're not like these defects. What you see is brittle looking metal. The cracks in it are, I mean, it looks, it, it's, it's not as if anything bent or warped or whatever. It looks, I mean, it, if, if the rotor was a piece of stone and you hit it with a hammer and it cracked apart, that's what this looks like. Yeah. Yeah, super bizarre. Yeah, Abe is a doctor. Did you know that? I did not. Wow. He's, okay. he's do- Dr. Abe. Doctor, He's not the good kind, though. You're what, the evil kind? <laughs> yeah, I'm not the kind that helps people. So if someone's choking at a restaurant, don't call me. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Someone help. Is someone here a doctor? Nope. Nope. Uh, no, no, if, not if, if someone needs to know why their pipe is rusty, I, I'm pretty good at telling them why that is. Okay. Wow. So you're, you're a really good expert to take a look at this. So yeah, it's a, it was a crazy thing. And the company has been really, really cool about working with me and trying to figure out why, because they want to know just as bad because they need to know if they need to sever ties with the foundry, figure out what happened. Because I know for a fact that you can get two different rotors for this kit and each of the rotors come from a different manufacturer. Interesting. So there's a, there's two different vein types basically. And one is like four times more expensive than the other because it comes from a different place. So, and this was, of course, the cheaper one. Sure. So interesting to to see. And I will absolutely update everybody on it because I think the biggest thing for something like this is not to sweep it under the rug, it's to educate everybody around it. Because there's already been quite a bit of blowback from other people that run the same kit, which I hate to see because that wasn't my intention. Um, but you know, everyone's freaking out saying, well, and it's, it's weird, right? Because it, it absolutely presents a very real safety issue. However, the company that sells kits is, is in this remarkable predicament because it's completely outside of their control. Yeah. Well, they're, they're a big company. So I feel like they do definitely have some control over it, which is why they're looking into it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a bummer, but I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't get hurt. I'm glad it didn't happen to anybody else that maybe wouldn't have. Well, been it's, so calm it's funny the way, the way you talked about it, it or whatever. I watched the video and you, I think, were on an outlap. You were just Correct. rolling out and kind of warming up. So you weren't driving really aggressively. And when you went off, it wasn't, it wasn't theatrical in any way. No. In that, like, no. when it happened, even there weren't bangs and, and crashes much that I heard mm-hmm. as the car went off. You just kind of like rolled off as if you didn't even know what happened at the time, which is exactly mm-hmm. how things seem to work out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully they're moving heaven and earth to get us all the parts and uh, get me back up and running, which is which is cool of them. Like I said, they're they're a great company and I've always used their products and I'm not going to stop using their products even after what's this. Uh, what's the future build plans right now for the S2000? Like what's the punch list? So right now we have to replace the, the WiseFab control arms, obviously. Um, but WiseFab is actually one of the cool reasons I went with WiseFab is they have a lot of those control arms off the shelf because they're a drifting company. So people break stuff when they drift. So they have like all those control arms and they're not terribly expensive. You, you, you say it. that WiseFab is like big money control arm kit. Like you don't buy yeah, that unless you're very serious. Exactly. So the, the WiseFab kit itself is very expensive, but I think, and I'm not, you know, a, super involved in their you know profit margins but i think all of that money is in the hubs 
because the hubs are just works of art. They're, you know, like machined CNC aluminum. CNC machine, yep. So the, the control arms are pretty basic. They're just welded steel. And they're high quality and they have sphericals and all other stuff, but I'm pretty sure the replacements are around 200 bucks. Well, that's not so bad. So like it's cheaper than OEM when it comes to like control arms and stuff like that. And not that they would ever break, but another thing that someone brought up to me is an OEM cast arm probably would have shattered if it got hit with a rotor. The steel uh, Y-stab just bent. That makes sense. So held its shape. So pretty, pretty nifty. I didn't even think about that. And my dogs are, are panicking. Guest hosts on the them. podcast. Uh, dogs. Yeah. At home podcast. Um, but yeah. So again, just super lucky. And we're going to move forward. The punch list, I guess, would be to fix a wise fab. I don't know how we're going to fix the holes in the bottom of the chassis. That's well, a whole plates other... there. Easy. What? <laughs> just, just weld some plates in. That's what Adam would do. It sounds, that, it sounds like you're just going to cover it with fi- carbon fiber. So, <laughs> Yeah, like as far as the arrow is concerned, it's a non-issue. Um, you know, we might just pound them out and put some tape over it. Who knows? <laughs> but we'll, we'll get it sorted. But yeah, the flat bottom will have carbon, so it'll have another layer of protection, which is and, nice. <laughs> and you primarily do stuff in California, so it really doesn't rain on your event days, does it? No, no. And I don't think uh, with the car we'd even run it in the rain i mean i'm not afraid of the rain we have run in the past but you know a car that 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 is that high strung is probably not a great idea Uh, so uh with respect to time attack the way excuse me the way events are typically structured it is ideal from a competition standpoint that if it is going to rain it has to rain for the entirety of the weekend uh, because let's say a couple of years ago we had one dry session at the track, uh, that was the first session at Mid Ohio, and then for the rest of the weekend, it was an absolute downpour. And so, like mm-hmm. the only times that mattered in a conventional time attack were that first session. Um, it would have been much better had it just been raining like hell the whole time. Yeah, and that's the rough thing with rain is that it's like kind of a give and take. Um, it's you have like one session, and if you have a mechanical failure, you're kind of screwed. Yep. So like. Um, I, I'm interested, though, with this S2000, do you have any uh, personal interest to bring the car into other events outside of California? Oh, absolutely. Of course, just like anything else, it's all based on money, right? So hang on one second. I, can I go take care of the dogs real quick? Because they're... Uh... Yeah, I'll, I'll just yell at Abe. Okay. Yeah, yell at me no, about hang something. On, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hey, Abe, what do you have to do for NCM? Uh, I have to... Oh. Um, I need to make a run group list. I know that's yes, the thing. Yes, you do. Is that what you were going <laughs> to yell at me about? Because I also need to prep my RV. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's fine. Um, yeah, we need to. I'm thinking, um, I was talking to John Kay from SCCA today, and he said that they comfortably, in an experienced group, run like 40 cars at Time Trials Nationals. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe we try out three a- groups. ABC, and we'll see how that goes. for sure. So, yeah. And I, uh, I don't know how f- many of the extremely, extremely fast cars are coming. Um, Not that many. Not that many. So, like, uh, I would expect Jackie and Alex to be among the faster cars in the group. Yeah, I would imagine high street mod uh, and uh, lower lower track mod prep is going to be Group A. So yep. give, give, it a, give it a quick look, and then anybody with an unlimited car, we'll put them in Group A. We'll figure that stuff out. So. Got it. 
Sorry, Kevin, I have an event in two days. So. Oh, so you, got, you squeezed in some work in between working? Yeah, we just recorded. Who cares? <laughs> so, sorry about that. My dogs are, you know, we love our dogs. But they're, they're loud sometimes. Just put them in the the office with my wife. She's also working from home. So yeah, I'm, I really, life. I really like working from home. I wish it was just a thing that I could do forever. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely nice. I mean, I say I'm working from home, but actually I, I don't really have a job right now. So, you know, there's that, that also came new from the last time we spoke. So the, the quotes here so, was, was around job. <laughs> I don't have a job, <laughs> a job per se. No, my, my wife and I have a business, so it, it frees up a lot of my time to do the fun stuff that you guys all see, which is why I'm able to, um, you know, go to the track almost every weekend seemingly and get all the crazy seat time that I, that I have. Well, that and sounds I did cool. work for a while and then we support, I supported her in starting her business and now we're kind of swapping places and I'm trying my best to make something work in this industry, but God, you guys know it's, it's tough. Well, uh, Tracktune is willing to let you work for free if you want to transform it into <laughs> if you want to transform it into something that makes money. We'll uh, we'll absolutely share that money with you. Okay, all right. I've gotten a lot of those offers, so I'm, I'm either I'm concerned that nothing can make money, or either people have way too much faith in me. One of the two. Well, um, but so yeah, uh, where, where were we? So before my lovely dogs interrupted oh we were talking about what's uh what events you might do with the s2000 oh right yeah so you you had mentioned like do you want to travel with it or do i have any plans outside of california and it, it all comes down to if i can get support from you know everybody that supports me the the better option right now if i were to travel is probably taking either the viper or my c7 i see only because those cars are just they're not going to have the problems that the S2000 has. And not that the S2000 I'm seeing that is, I'm not guessing that it's going to have a lot of issues, but if you're traveling 2000 miles and you have two access to two mild cars, the C7 is pretty mild and the Viper stock, like those are the cars you're going to take because you want to be able to just turn laps. Sure. It, it guarantees that when you get to an event or, or virtually guarantees that you won't have a disruptive event on the first outing, let's say. Correct. Yeah. And everything's a test day on these uh, high strung, uh, you know, absolutely 90s Japanese cars. So something so. that I think our listeners might be interested to talk about. Tell us about your towing setup, because Adam and I have recently uh, expressed a ton of interest in being RV enthusiasts. And if I Ooh. have to shake up my life again and move to another city, I may consider very much whether or not I want to spend a considerable sum of money on a used class A. I really want an RV. And my wife and I have talked a lot about doing like a sprinter. Sprinter is very cool. Sprinter based. Sprinter okay. Based. Like a, a C class. Sprinter, well, but. if you didn't know, Adam and I run a show uh, with periodic releases. Um, it's been a long time uh, about <laughs> RVs, where we talk about the things that we do and modify our RVs, etc. It's called C-Class Citizens. And if you're listening to Slip Angle oh. and you don't know about C-Class Citizens, make sure you listen to our two episodes because <laughs> we're going to be doing more because, well, it's event season and we're in our RVs a lot. That's definitely something that I'm interested in. And right now, my towing rig is... I don't want to say on the fritz. It's just, it's complicated, right? So I have a steel trailer that weighs like, you know, 3,000 pounds, 3,500 pounds. It's a 21 foot uh, dovetail with like integrated ramps. Pretty nice trailer. I got it used, um, seemingly never breaks. 
And I used to tow it with an F-150 uh, back when I had a, a quote unquote job. Know, actual career job. And that was a company truck. So now um, after I left, they kept the truck, which I'm a little heartbroken over still. But my wife and I went out and bought a, uh, a new X5. Okay. So now the tow rig is a 2021 uh, X5. And then with the steel trailer, which it can tow 7,500 pounds, I believe, around. So it can tow the C7 with the steel trailer barely. The so, Viper, on the other hand, mm, maybe it's not. Tough. So the thing yeah. here that I think is relevant, and we should talk more about RVs, is I believe yeah. the tow rating on your C class that's sprinter based isn't more than like 5,500 pounds, which makes right. things kind of tricky unless you have like an, an ultimately lightweight aluminum trailer. So if you want a C-Class, I think your better options are the the Ferd V10, um, which is expensive to drive, but super reliable. Thanks, James Houghton, for convincing me to buy one. Or okay. you buy a Class A. We should have yeah. been Class A citizens, Adam. That might come off the wrong way. The Class C Citizens has a nice ring to it. Dude, you should you should see how long my rig that I'm driving oh, this afternoon. Hold on, is. I, I'll try and text it's it. So big. How long it's, is it, Adam? I think it's. I didn't pull. I mean, if I do the math, it's 38 feet, four four and a half feet in the middle, and then 28 feet. So I think it's right around 70, 71. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really big. Uh, my first time with a 28 footer. So. <laughs> Hold on. Let's let's see if I can forward this to the group. Uh, the only thing that terrifies me while you're there finding you that. Oh, there it is. Look oh, at that yeah. bad bitch oh, wow. right there. Okay. So how, what what's the length of that RV? Is that like a 30-footer? Uh, it's a 38-foot. Um, oh, it is a 38. Oh, my God. Yeah. It looks so small with that trailer. The trailer, <laughs> the I think the trailer I bought is a 28, but, uh, yeah, it's big. Uh, it's long, and I haven't towed it yet. I've only hooked it up in front of my house. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. So, yeah, the... So definitely uh, go ahead. Go ahead. To, to quote Sir Mix a lot here, it's it's long and strong and about to get the friction <laughs> on. Um, no, I- interesting in this case, Adam, you just bought this trailer from Bowie. Tell us about this trailer and why it's awesome. Um, so last year we had um, we had bought the trailer that matched your RV from my uncle actually. So it was a twenty foot like enclosed, but basically you know it was in good shape because it had always been in my uncle's. Uh, pole barn but uh it didn't have giant axles underneath of it and i think in a year and a half we i think we swapped four four hubs and four tires um and uh, two of them like in one hour on the way to nola between 1 a.m and 2 a.m uh and that was terrible but i had the hubs in the trailer because i knew it was coming um and so i started looking for a heavy 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 duty enclosed like with 5000 or 7000 pound axles um and bigger tires because we you know we were, we were getting tires hot you know loaded down for an event it's almost full to the ceiling you know so it's overloaded um and then i had remembered that uh uh our buddy buoy who raced gltc a couple of years ago and uh, i raced scca stuff with him a bunch of years he's from atlanta he had this big crazy feather light from the late 90s back when they like even the trim is like all welded to itself like everything is welded and it's all aluminum and it's heavy duty uh and this thing had crazy axles on it i we austin and i had actually slept in it the first grid life road atlanta um it has ac on the roof and stuff um 
and Bowie was getting getting out of race cars for a while because because the age of kids and just never did it enough. And uh, so I I asked him what you know I was talking to him before we had him on the show semi recently. I was talking to him like, what do you want to do with that trailer? Like, how much do you want for it? And so we made a deal and. This thing's got, it's either 7,500 pound or 9,000 pound axles and H rated tires. So they're like semi truck tires. <laughs> so yesterday on the way back from Grid Life, like loaded to the gills, um, I got home and got right off the highway and made all the lights. So I never slowed down or anything and never cooled down. I got out real quick and I felt all the tires. I didn't have my laser with me, which I have in the RV, but I felt all the tires, felt all the hubs, and they were like rock ice cold, which was great. So, so it doesn't care at all. <laughs> maybe we can share uh, this picture with this episode on Track Tuned. But if you've ever ridden a bendy bus in Chicago, this is probably the length of Adam's tow rig. And uh, maybe I think I'm longer. I mean, I'm, you see, you see people at like NASA and SEC weekends with rigs just like this. It's not that big of a deal. It might be illegally long, but um, it uh, it's also an RV, so the cops don't typically look at you. Um, I think Jeremy Boyson's RV rig is like it's like 85 feet. Well, like, but that's like insane. a semi truck. It just it it's you're used to looking at something that looks that yeah. way. His doesn't yeah, look out I mean, of the ordinary. Yours looks title, out of the ordinary. His title is an RV. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll see how the, how the trip goes. Hopefully it's uneventful and the cops don't, uh, cops on I-65 don't hate me. But. So uh, for a second, Adam, tell Kevin what the upside of class A's are compared to class C's. Cause I can talk about class C's a little bit. Well, you get like the, a good class A with like heavy duty chassis, you get air ride and you get air brakes, which are huge. Uh, and you get giant hubs and giant wheels and heavy duty everything. So, cause it's based on like, you know, semi truck parts. Um, and everybody's like, Oh, they're hard to work on. They're actually not like the parts are the same as like working on an F three fifty, maybe a little more, but not much. Uh, the hardest part is like jacking them up in the air and you just go to Harbor Freight yeah. and buy, buy big bottle jacks and get some, get a bunch of two by sixes and you're good to go. So you just need like a specialized set of tools, but like, it's just bigger tools. They're not expensive either. You know, the storage uh, is always a problem here in California. And yeah, I, I would you guys imagine. probably don't have that problem, but well, it, uh, it, it costs money here too. But yeah, depending on, you know, at least you got desert an hour away. You could park it in, 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 uh, <laughs> in the desert. You know? Just park it in the desert somewhere. That was, so I grew up RVing um, and my family had a 38 foot uh, a class. And I've always wanted a C class because my family always had A classes and it was just always such a pain to take it places. You know, you can only go to certain RV parks and, and we're going to the track. So it's not a big deal. But if my wife and I want to go on a road trip, you know, still take the class significantly a. reduces where you can go. So which I don't like that. I think an element here for anyone interested shopping for RVs, I believe that Adam's RV and my RV get the same fuel economy. And the difference is uh, he has infinitely more capacity than I do and probably also uh, more lifetime out of his equipment. So I took my RV from um, Indianapolis to Pikes Peak International last year to go to the Gridlife Alpine event. And it was manageable in terms of cost, but it was properly $600 in fuel to go there and back. And it was like maybe 1,800 miles or so. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And at the time, fuel was uh, a lot cheaper than it is right now. And so when you think about how viable your path is for a vehicle like this, I mean, uh, let's say the cost of fuel went up to $4 a gallon. Well, then 
you know, is it even worth taking an RV that far because you're going to spend $1,500 in fuel? Like that's, yeah, that, that doesn't sound like much fun at all. Um, yeah. and I, yeah. Mine will get like uh, eight to nine uh, with a three-cylinder diesel generator running. And Abe, I think that's about what you get. Uh, less. Not towing, I get right? like six to seven. And is yours a diesel pusher, Adam? I'm looking at the picture. It looks like it is. Is it uh, not? Yeah, it's uh, it's an old Cummins 8.3 liter. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. That thing's rad. It's very cool. Yeah. And actually, it's super nice on the inside now because Adam is a pro. Yeah, that's definitely something I want to get into here in the near future. And I am going to invest in a Featherlight trailer of some kind. The steel trailer, I paid like 1500 bucks for it, you know, years ago. So it's definitely something that I just had. And I towed an S2000 with an F-150, so it never really mattered um, how heavy the trailer was. Sure. But it's definitely something I need to invest in, like the whole package, right? We get an RV and a trailer together. Well, so and kind of add to this, if you want to if you want to talk about your life of going to the track all the time, um, perhaps maybe your wife wants to come with you. Um, and, <laughs> and if you have children maybe. or you decide to have children, having a mechanism to like make it a family thing is really attractive, because for me, I think it would be really difficult to spend as many days away a year as I have uh, without accommodations to like have a bed uh at the track and a place to call home. And even the trip to Pikes Peak was really interesting because quite literally I drove until I was physically exhausted. And then we pulled into a rest area and I got up out of my chair and I walked to my bed and I fell asleep. And then in the morning I walked back to the driver's seat and we got on the road. Like from the time to wake up, brush your teeth or take a shower. No, dude, like a little gross. We're still roughing it. I mean, this is, this is bread life. This is, this is not, this is not fancy. No, but it was just, it was very convenient to be able to just like stop when you want and leave. So I, I'm really, really spoiled in SoCal because we don't really have any of those types of events. There's events. If I wanted to go to the track every weekend and also one weekday, I wouldn't have to drive further than three hours. That's how many events there are in SoCal. So I have problems with saying no to events. I get, there's so many events around here that, you know, that have their own opportunities, their own competitions, their own, you know, media stuff. Now that I'm vlogging, you know, oh, it's a good one to go to, so on and so forth, that I have a hard time choosing. So we don't end up driving that far, which is the only reason why I haven't gotten an RV already. Because if we're driving five, six, seven hours somewhere, it makes a lot of sense to have that. But for the most part, like short of Buttonwillow, I'll go home the, you know, for a weekend event the next yeah. you know, night. Yeah. I'll drop the no. car off for a drive. I don't know what I would do. Yeah. Go. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I, I do love the. I mean, we, we've got quite a camping culture at Grid Life, you know. Um, I do love that. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't imagine driving really two hours to go home. We're also close. It's. You know, maybe it's just me. I just, I drive all day and then I come home and I, I drive back. So I have 14, 15 hour days, but that's kind of what my sickness is. Those it's are just, long uh, days, man. Those are long <laughs> days. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while now and it hasn't caught up to me yet, but who knows. But the RV is definitely a good idea. Uh, I feel like my wife is uh, too smart. She'll see right through it if I try and sell it like, a, oh no, it's so I can go to the track more. She'll be like, yeah, okay. Like you can go any more than you already do. Um, but yeah, the definitely on the radar for an RV one of these days, uh, 
but yeah, it's good. Good info. Listen to your guys' podcast. We need to do some more. So Adam um, has done a lot of mods since the last show, which was forever ago. Um, it's it's been it's been like a year and a half since we recorded an episode, Adam. Because if you recall, we we yeah, recorded yeah, at I, game I, night. I just in bought tw- this one. <laughs> we recorded at game night in 2019, and there's been a year worth of pandemic since then. That's a lot of time, right? <laughs> a lot of RV upgrades, but I feel like that's something that maybe a vlog or YouTube would probably be better suited than a podcast because all the stuff that you're doing to it to see it yeah. is yeah. really important. One of these days, one of these days, we'll have more time. I gotta quit this day yeah. job, man. I gotta, I gotta get my dad to retirement and then get it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's the way, right? Right, guys. Two of the three of us are currently unemployed. That's right. So. It's the way it goes. Get on, get on this would, uh, would, jazz, man. I would just get uh, more busy with grid life. That's all. Like it's already, it could be a full-time job right now if I just had the time. And... Yeah. Well, it, it still is a full-time job. You just uh, sacrifice multiple, other time that you full-time. have. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of full-time jobs, I got to get back to this full-time job so, and uh, drill with an impact hammer. Kevin, uh, please tell everyone where they can see you do track things. Yeah. So my Instagram, which I feel like I've plugged a million times is underscore Schmevin underscore on Instagram, just church Kevin Burke. I should pop up. Uh, and my biggest thing recently is YouTube. I'm really trying to do a push. I have new videos every single week and I'm not trying to be like the next YouTuber, but I feel like there's a certain amount of fun being able to log and remember all of my track days oh sure so i'm so it's a vlog for personal use and to bring everybody along with me because i go to the track a lot i drive a lot of different cars and i feel like it was not wasted but i feel like it's a good opportunity to educate a lot of people well I, you, you might ride. you might laugh at this but uh for for stuff that happens on the west coast if we're talking about a particular track i'll admit to saying um if I want to see what a fast lap might look like, regardless of what's being driven, the first place I'll probably check is your YouTube channel because you drive a lot of things <laughs> in a lot of different places. And so it's like, well, what, what does a fast lap look like? Um, well, thank you for that. That's, those are really kind words. I, I try, but I'm definitely not the fastest well, there ever was. Or, well, or I mean, like but it's, it's different. I mean, there's always going to be someone faster because there's always going to be uh, a preparedness of car that goes up to goes up to F1 or, or the like, right? right? Like, so, um, for example, uh, Patrick Darty is a, is a guy that I'm getting to know. He was, uh, at the event with you guys, but he did a, a decently fast lap at AMP in a, in a stock civic type R. And I'm really, really interested in this car for a number of reasons. I think, uh, within days of being gainfully employed, I will probably buy one because I just think they're so neat. Nice. Um, they are very cool cars, but, uh, Patrick did this lap at AMP and I was like, well, uh, how fast is that? So I tried to look around and unfortunately it's really difficult to know who in that area, who else in that area is fast. So like, is a 132 yeah. in a stock type R at AMP really fast? I think it is. Yeah. It, that's always a tough thing. So real quick, speaking of that, um, me and so I used to be really competitive and do a lot of S2K challenge, which is a local time attack with just S2000s. Great rule set. It has since turned into something called Honda time attack challenge to encompass all Hondas. But we went to Vegas as like an away event and we were trying to do the same thing. Like, all right, what's a fast lap at the LVMS outside road course in an S2000 or really in anything. 
and the six of us were all splitting a uh, a house there. This is like in 2018. And we're just searching YouTube and we could not find anything. We found what we thought was a fast lap. It was like a 203 in an S2000. The guy was wheeling, you know, getting sideways everywhere. And we're like, okay, maybe this is what we all should shoot for and study. So we did. And then we go there the next day and we're all like around 201. We're all faster than that guy. So, and we've never been there. So it's very hard to, to find that kind of stuff. So that's definitely one of my underlying goals is to really educate on what is fast. Cause there's so many people out there that, you know, especially YouTubers that talk themselves up about being drivers and post their, but never talk about lap times. And I'm always a open book when it comes to my car, my mods, well, and my lap times and my data, my data is all overlaid on my videos. So, uh, and, so. and that, that's huge. I, I love that because it also, it helps me appreciate how fast certain corners are. Um, mm -hmm. I was talking with somebody who was, uh, interested in a new nsx i think those cars are very cool it's my opinion yeah. that they're not selling great commercially but the car is i think very good and people probably in 10 years will be like damn that was a good car we should have bought that in the same way that the ford gt didn't sell very well uh in in 05 <laughs> and people are like wow that that really is a pretty good car um so we were we were looking at the performance capability of an NSX, which I don't think is the ultimate fast car at that price point, but it could be really mm -hmm. good. And we saw a video mm -hmm. at Gingerman uh, of someone driving an NSX, and we were like, well, is, is this all it has? Because the driver, I mean, you're getting a lot of tire noise, and it looks like the driver is pushing hard. Um, but then we start looking at the video, and if you're, if you're familiar with the layout at the track, um, basically at 11... Um, you know, you've got five brake posts, I think, but it, it was clear without the data overlay that the driver was probably braking at about 700 in an NSX. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, like it's a 43 or a 44 or something like that. So it's like, it's okay. Um, but I don't think that's the limit of the car because, well, it was clear that every brake zone, um, there was a lot left on the table. And so like right. having context for what a fast lap is in any car is useful, I think. Yeah, and I think that's where the SoCal track scene is really, really good because you always have those reference. The 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 community, we know what fast laps are at any track in any car. And that that helps a lot. And speaking of the NSX, uh, one of the guys, I don't know him personally, but he took the NSX out of Button Willow. And he's I don't think he's a you know, a top tier driver. He's a driver, but I wouldn't call him a top tier driver, and he's like a fifty-four out of Button Willow, thirteen clockwise. So I'd like to see his data because even if someone were to send me their, their aim data and I overlay it with mine, I can see like exactly what you said, where they're braking, when they're getting on throttle, their min speeds, and kind of have an idea of when, what that car is capable of. And I'm going to actually, especially after talking about this, cause I'm curious, hit him up and see if he has any data on that. Cause that would be really cool. And uh, yeah, like seeing that car with him driving, doing a 54, like, that's that's impressive, I think, because it's sure. a porky car. That's the big thing about those NSXs. Is they're thirty eight hundred pounds? Yep. And to me, that kind of killed the car. Like, why would you make a supercar almost four thousand? Well, uh, to critique on Honda Acura for just a second, um, I think yeah. the new what is it? The new TLX is an incredible idea. Um, double wishbone fronts kind of moving back toward Honda performance car territory is, is awesome. But when they released the curb weight of the car and it was 4,000 plus, I was like, 
what? Yeah. What what mechanically is in the car that makes it that heavy? Because it does not make sense. No, it's it's crazy. It's like the C7 Corvette, you know, the stock Grand Sport's like 3,500 pounds. It's a carbon composite plastic body. Like, why is that 3,500 pounds? And it like, doesn't make any sense. What are the heavy parts? Because an Evo 10 is a, a notably heavy car, and I think it was like 3,400. So yeah, and you can and you can get a lot of weight out because it's steel body components, right? So like, you have that option. What about the TLX is that heavy? Because I think if it were lighter, it would be awesome. Like the difference yeah. between like pretty good and awesome would just be some weight. Yeah, and I don't know what it is. It could be safety. It could be whatever. But yeah, that's and the excuse that all the you know the manufacturer are using, I think, is because Motor Trend and all of the companies that do the hot laps. They do one lap and they're not paying for tires. Right. And the car might put down a respectable lap like at, you know, Chuck Wall or Big Willow. But, but undoubtedly, it will never be it, as good. It Any car correct. like for like almost certainly would be better if it weighed 500 pounds less. Yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, like the, the good example is a GT500. Everyone was claiming, you know, oh my God, it's so fast. Look at these lap times that Motor Trend put down. And then you talk to people that actually own them and that are fast, and you can't get more than one or two sessions out of a set of tires. Well, Holy cow. Like, so, how, why would that, why would you make something that just eats tires like that? Well, and the Motor Trend doesn't complain because they get it all taken care of. But for the grassroots guys, we need to know this kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, uh, I think maybe it was on the show with you that that Adam and I talked a little bit about this show that um, Matt Farah did with Amelia Hartford and Rob Ferretti, where they were looking oh at. God. So, like, you're yeah. familiar with the show that I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, it was called I'm Sorted. It, the show it was like it, it was, was pretty kind of a interesting. Joke for the SoCal. Well, I mean, it was it know. was interesting, but conceptually, there were I thought. Uh, uh, a few flaws from people who might spend more time at the track. And one of the challenges yeah. was these highly modified cars that all make more than 500 horsepower. One of the challenges was, can the car do 10 hot laps Dude. in a row? And like, I mean, or even more than one. Really. Well, and, 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 and practically, I mean, any modified car that we know that is driven properly fast on street tires, the street tire cannot do four hot laps in a row at very fast pace. It's just not a thing. So like yeah. if we're talking about lapping day cars that are like 200 horsepower and reasonably lightweight, 20 minute sessions where every lap is pretty consistent is possible. But like fast cars, fast cars don't do 20 minute sessions or at least not yeah. full attack well, sessions. Some can, some can well-built ones can on, um, on a street tire. I mean, my, my Corvette did, you know, but that's a different, that's a different, Beast, well, I mean, I at, at, at what point, though, do you start to struggle a struggle with tire temps and just wear during a session? Like it's, but all the problems those cars had weren't tire related; they were all power and brake related. Got so, it. I get what you're saying. Um, but the the big problem, and I loved what they did with that show because you know anything that can shed more light on enthusiast time attack is great. But it was just so watching it was painful because they got all the cars from SoCal. I don't know where we, they found these guys. You can well, literally go to a track day, walk the paddock, close your eyes and pick 10 cars. And they would have ran better than those 10 cars. Well, and Adam and yeah, I talked about the show and I'm, I'm not like tooting grid life horn necessarily, but like <laughs> if you wanted cars that were properly fast and street worthy and sorted, right. uh, you would have called Adam or me and just said, give me five cars. I need something 
Um, I think it was just it was just application only, you know. So they're they're appealing to a certain audience. So. But it would be cool though to see an S two thousand be able to do ten laps and go faster than a nine eleven or whatever the car they had for the baseline. But seemingly they didn't look hard enough to actually find a proper S two thousand. They I don't know how they figured out who was gonna be on it, but you know, like Rockstar Garage had probably three S two thousands that were all turbo and supercharged that would have ran. 10 times better than the ones that were on that car that show so it's you know and maybe and and i think the cars that won were all like owned by shops if typically I but like also like i think the budget. cars that ran really well and and scored well were the ones that were closer to um full bolt-on which i think is yeah is the perfect level of modification for many cars and it, it's my impression that if a full bolt-on Evo 10 is not fast enough or capable enough for what you want to do, you then should start with a higher caliber car as your base platform. So like, you know, yes and no, I mean, unless cost is no object. Right. But there's, there's certain things like with my C7 and why I stopped really putting money into that car is because at the end of the day, it's a 3,500 pound stock car with all these electronics and all these safety measures that, say a a 90s nsx or my s2000 like don't have those problems it's it's very different though because you're you're coming from a you're you're coming from a competition perspective where correct your goal is to win the competition instead of like your i would say that your s2000 right now is a beast of burden in that you use it to do a job um but in you're willing to make sacrifices in many many ways in order to translate that into competition performance Correct. So like, yeah, if I just wanted to go out and have fun, the C7 is in my garage. I could drive it to the track. Right. And, you know, it's an amazing performer. I've never had one issue with it. Yep. And, yeah, like that car would have probably scored better than all the cars on that that show we keep talking about. Yep. Because it would have been super comfy stock suspension, and it would have been faster than that GT500 at Chukwala. Yep, probably. So, so if they uh, do a second season, I'd be intrigued to see if they could get some cars that are um, – more likely to succeed. <laughs> well, just more likely to succeed, right? Like there was an instance yeah. where one of the cars was on drag radials and I was like, what? No, like this, yeah, like this is a track a competition. Budget, it's like, why didn't you partner with a tire company, you know, and have Falcon RT 660s on all these tire, all these cars or something like they have a lot of pull in the industry. And I feel like they just didn't really do that the right way. Um, but you know that that's me. I'm nobody. So they're they're somebody. They all made it. So I can't really comment. I'm the dude with 700 subscribers on YouTube. So don't listen to me. <laughs> well, I mean, you're just some punk, right? <laughs> you can just some punk. That's all I am. So Adam, I think we made a podcast. Uh, yeah, just about. <laughs> <laughs> How much work did you get done during the podcast? Is what uh, I want to know. I, I you... actually have. I've completely built a in shower enclosure. Do you guys want to see it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that is what uh, you let's did. See, there we go. Check this thing out. Check this thing out, baby. Oh, there it is. Impressive. I, I, did, I, I actually had these two pieces in right there before we started. So that's the most impressive yeah. thing from this podcast. You were able to be involved. And a bit. build a shower. Yeah, dude, check out the top margin too, man. I'm a pro. That looks pretty good, <laughs> dude. I like good. that overhead uh, uh, faucet. That's nice. Yeah, man. They, I didn't build that. We got a nice rain faucet up there. Not bad looking, huh? 
Anyway, I got to cock this thing, so I'm not going to be able to touch the keyboard for a while. So. No, you're, you're good, man. Hey, guys, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always yeah, man, a blast. Let's, let's, talk more. Let, let's talk do this more because it seems to work out. And we, I feel like we didn't even talk about some of the other stuff we wanted to. So I, I would like to do a little bit more uh, in depth on the track times that you're talking about. Cause I think that's such a big problem. We don't know what fast lap times are. I would like it very much. So uh, you are aware that slip angle has a relationship with apex pro uh, Andrew, Adam and I continue to get close and I watch a lot of his webinars and there is a lot of accessible information that exists from a phone app and a PC, a piece of GPS hardware slash coaching hardware um, that I really love. And it's so mm -hmm. unbelievably easy. I would be inclined to have you both on the show at the same time where mm -hmm. both of you are drivers and both of you are data nuts, but you're coming from um, different angles and it might mm -hmm. be fun just to see how you guys play off each other. So yeah. no, uh, Andrew, so if you're sure. listening to this, I'll probably talk to you about it before you hear this, but it might be fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm down for whatever you guys can do. Like I said, I'm just trying to make something stick in this crazy world of uh, racing, whether it be driving, data, something. So anything we, is We great. all know Abe doesn't, Abe doesn't brush his teeth or wash his hands before he drives his own race. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's, he's probably sticky, so he's a guy. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes when you're in an RV and you don't have, uh, your generator doesn't work and you're not plugged in, the RV <laughs> is just kind of sticky. Yeah, it's just a sticky, sticky trip. But I guess it beats staying in a motel sex. Yes, in a cramped place. So, All right, buddies. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys soon, man. All right. See you guys later. Thank you so much. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pit City Grid Live to say hello. Hello.